Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to 3CR. 3CR Community Radio. 3CR Community Radio. 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au and in Melbourne on 3CR Digitally. Welcome to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio 855am. We acknowledge we're broadcasting from the stolen, unceded lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and becoming and to any Aboriginal Elders tuning in right now. We acknowledge sister girls, brother boys and any queer Aboriginal people listening to this program. I'm Meredith Butler. Today on Queering the Air, we bring you a special program celebrating the strength and passion of older lesbians and queer-identifying women as they negotiate ageing and aged care. Being truly visible, being seen and heard, is an experience often lacking for older LGBTQIA plus people within aged care. As part of this project, Switchboard Victoria invited three older people from our community to talk about their experiences, expectations and attitudes to ageing and aged care. I'm an 82-year-old out gay woman. I've not been out for very long, a couple of years only, because I built myself a closet to live in. I'm out of that now and I'm living in aged care. I've been living in two separate facilities. Now, if you ever get to see an old lady in an electric wheelchair with pink hair, come up and say, hi, Jennifer. Tony Painter. I describe myself as a gender diverse female. I'm quite happy to use the the term queer. Otherwise, I call it the alphabet soup community. Um, But for those that want to get pedantic, it's the LGBTIQ plus community. And uh, it's very important to me, and I've been very involved in it. I don't try to hide my gender, which confuses a lot of people. Hello, my name is Sue. I live in a very small country village in northern Victoria. I have mobility problems so that I can sort of do one trip to Bendigo a week, but beyond that it's not possible. 
I mean, I'm now 75. I have no intention of going back into the closet. But a lot of people have. Tony is a gender-diverse activist, queer mental health advocate and winner of the 2019 Globe Award for LGBTQIA Plus Community Volunteer of the Year. I describe myself as a gender-diverse female. Uh, I'm 76. Um, over those 76 years, I've done lots of things, um, I qualified as an accountant, worked in business for 40-odd years, um, particularly at the higher levels of business. Um, I then transitioned to my authentic self um, about 15 years ago and um, have since that time uh, got rid of the introvert personality that I developed as a child um, to cope with uh, developmental trauma and severe social isolation and um, have become a fairly public part of the queer community. Uh, I've made a couple of films um, and a couple of films that I was the subject of um, I've worked at Joy Radio, at Bent TV. I run several support groups for LGBTI or trans and gender diverse people, um, primarily um, to help them cope with uh, mental health issues which are rampant through the queer community. Um, I've had a a mental health issue since I was a teenager and uh, it's never been properly addressed. Um, so putting back into the mental health side of the queer community um, is really therapy for myself as well as being, uh, I believe, very helpful for other people. I transitioned in the Catholic Presbytery in Collingwood. It was a process of just gradually wearing more and more female clothes and uh, becoming more and more myself. Uh, I dropped off the introverted personality um, and met lots of people and worked with lots of people and they didn't they didn't have any idea of who I'd been before so there were very there was very little um drama with my transition um in fact very few people even commented upon it um it was great for me um, but it was also uneventful. I think one of the most uneventful occasions was a, a Christmas service in one of the churches in Collingwood and some gentleman that I'd never met before 
came up to me and wanted to ask when it was due. And my immediate thoughts were, I think one immaculate conception in this universe is more than enough. What about family? Are you still in contact with your children? Yeah, I'm still in contact with my three kids, um, two on a regular basis and one not so. Um, as far as I'm aware, um, they have no concerns about uh, my transition to, to female. Um, I don't think they really fully understand it, but then again, I don't either. So two of them took me out for Father's Day the other day uh, to a local pub. I still feel isolated uh, at home. Um, and I'm in a, a small block of government units uh, and I don't have a great deal of interaction with any of the other residents. Um, primarily, I think, because of the langu- language and, and cultural issues, um, not anything to do with the fact that I'm queer. Um, uh, I think it's the isolation and loneliness is a big social issue that's sort of right across the community. Have you experienced it more as you've got older? Not specifically because I've, I've got older. It's more because um, I'm trying to do less, which is when I do less, I have more time to to be lonely. Um, I was lonely before I became older. What helps with overcoming that social isolation? People. (laughs) Being involved with activities that keep you in touch with people and that's always been my solution. You talked a bit before about um, the prevalence of mental illness and mental health challenges in the queer community. What's your experience of of the support that can happen like through the support groups and things? How important is that for people's mental health? When I crashed not really in a serious way, uh, but serious enough that I finished up unemployed and homeless. Support groups basically were the catalyst to bring me out of that situation. It's people in the support groups and it's people with similar lived experience to yourself it doesn't have to be the same, but, you know, sort of like the same sort of thing. For trans and gender diverse people, what kind of those small but continuous kind of pressures, what do they look like? A lot of the problems will be what they tend to call as microaggressions, um, something that's in itself on an occasion on its own is not a major issue 
but when it's repeated over and over again, um, like um, a child being told that they can't be the gender they know they are um, over and over again and all sorts of actions that preclude the child doing that. So one of the other things that um, I know that you're involved with, Tony, is that you have a visitor from the Out and About program. What difference has that made to your weekly or monthly life? It's a very pleasant interlude into my life. Um, My um, visitor from Out and About is a young lady... um, who um, isn't trans. She just throws a, a youthful complexion onto to life with me and uh, we talk about basically everything except mental health and queerness. Um, we talk a lot about animals and, uh, and pets and uh, we go t- to eating and coffee places and uh, yeah, have a good time and it's great and uh, I would hope that all the community of visitor programs have people like her. One of the other things I know that you do quite often and have been involved in is more creative projects and going to see shows and that kind of thing how important is a more creative side to yeah just to making life good i've I've had a a camera in my hands for most of my life um now the technology's changed uh, it's now a movie camera type rather than a still camera i feel at home in the production area of uh creative stuff as I've mentioned before I've been involved with with radio tv I'm also in a choir I've been in several choirs and uh, I think that's it's a great activity it's physical it's social I love going to the movies or the or the live theatre so we're thinking about accessing aged care and people's experiences of aged care um What's your experience been like and can you describe how you access care at the moment? Um, at the moment I have a home care package, um, not the lowest one but the next lowest one. Um, I pretty much self-manage that. Um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, there's been some good aspects to it, um, some bad aspects to it. Um, the, um, the system has good intent. Um, I think the implementation of it at a policy and government level has been a little bit lacking. Um, I don't think the mechanics of it were properly uh, thought through at the beginning and definitely wasn't put in place. What are some good experiences you've had? Oh, well, I've had 
I had some good experiences. I had a a long period with some women that came to to do some work around the house over a number of years, and that was a very social involvement as well as them doing the shopping and the cleaning. And uh, I was I was disappointed when that came to an end. I think I've only had one worker that has said anything adverse about being trans and then it was simply a case of well I know who you, I know who and what you are and I don't agree with it but uh, she still provided the service that I needed um, I wasn't offered her services again so I didn't say anything about that I think as long as they don't say anything uh, derogatory or um, disenchant, enfranchising you because of your queerness or anything, um, and that they're then just uh, an accepting human being and do what I want them to do. Training about diversity needs to, needs to happen across the sector. And it's not just for the LGBTI community, it's also for all the Indigenous community and for the immigrant persons. You were saying before that if you went into residential care, you may ask different questions. Would that be because you might feel you had less control? I think control is a, is a a definite issue um, but yeah it's it's more to make sure that there was every proper possibility of of getting a, an adequate level of care um, more than anything else yeah. otherwise you just take potluck I'd be making a lot of inquiries uh, particularly of people that had used the service I think that's the only real reliable source of information is to just find as many people as you can that have already used that service provider and ask what had, what had happened. You know, I, I can remember the first ageing conference that I was at and uh, was early in the conference and there was a Q&A question and I was in the audience and uh, the speakers had talked about the need for more knowledge in the aged care community about uh, queer and uh, particularly about trans people and I thought most people have never met a trans person uh, that they know of and hey, here's a good opportunity to do some um, really uh, first-hand education. So I stood up and didn't ask a question. I just said who I am and that I'm trans and that I'm going to be at this conference for three days. Um, I'd be glad to talk to anybody uh, pretty much about anything. And... uh, After that, I was never alone. 
That was Tony, gender diverse activist and queer community mental health advocate. I'm Meredith Butler, and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. is a bisexual writer whose realisation she had always been gay came in her 80s. An academic, teacher and psychologist, she has a doctorate of science from Boston University. Jennifer currently lives in residential aged care and seeks to create meaningful spaces for herself and others to be themselves as they age. I had watched Nanette and if you haven't watched Nanette on Netflix, please do. I watched it five nights in a row and I was terribly taken with her her authenticity and her strength and her truth-telling and in the last part of that she runs through her whole life from being a tiny child until now and lists all of the things that happened to her many at the hands of straight white men because she was gay. And I thought, look, this is, this is a bit of an idea, isn't it? Um, this is before I, I discovered about myself. I think I'll do what she did. She started with babyhood and she just went through step by step through events in her life. I think I'll do that. Well, it's proving to be an amazing journey. I am digging into parts which are incredibly painful and totally outside my knowledge. And... It's clear that I have been gay my whole life and built myself a very strong closet and stayed right in it until just a year or two ago. The topic of being attracted to women was something that in in my family 70, 80 years ago, you would never have thought of talking about it. There wasn't a name for it. There was no language for it. There was no basis for any kind of a conversation. And back in the day, it was much more visible for gay men, wasn't it, than for lesbians? Well, lesbians didn't exist. I remember thinking more recently that my father had lots to say about gay men, but gay women never even got a mention So as far as I was concerned, there weren't any. (laughs) So what was it about Nanette that was it was it the reminder to go back and look through your whole life or was it something about the content of Nanette that that sparked you to this way of thinking? Well, I think it had to be partly the content, which I wasn't conscious of as I came to realise there is a pattern when I look at who I fell in love with and it started in my teens doesn't it always Um, it was just obvious to me all of a sudden I mean it came like a gigantic blast out of nowhere oh my god I'm gay I'm gay this is my truth I'm gay oh my god and it's been the most exciting time of my life other parts of my life 
have come bubbling to the surface, which I want to meet and I want to explore and I want to write about, and I am writing about it. How important is it saying the words and and being very visible? For me, it's critical because I'm aware of the kind of bad deal that LGBTI people of all varieties have had forever. So what I do is my room is decorated so you could not possibly mistake that I'm gay. A friend of mine has made me a quilt or covers my bed entirely made of pride flags. You couldn't miss it. And my lanyard with my keys to where I live is a pride lanyard. And it's given people permission to come into my space and to ask me questions. What does it mean for you if you're not listened to and you don't feel like your voice is being heard? I get pretty annoyed about that. Uh, This has happened in both of the aged care facilities that I've lived in because the people who run them don't keep on track of the changes in legislation. Well, I do because I find that interesting and I know what the legislation is that governs my life in an aged care facility and if it's not being adhered to, I draw that to the attention of the management and they can get really shitty about that. You've talked a lot about being there for other people and being open for other people. Where do you get your support? People at Switchboard and Out and About and I call them and they call me. And just recently, the aged care facility that I live in has hired a very outwardly gay man as a member of staff, the first one. And that makes two of us in the building who are out. I've started my own list of family of choice And the first person I came out to, Dean, I asked him not so long ago, would he be in my family? He said, from the first day I met you, I I was, of course. And some gay friends I've asked who said yes, and some straight friends. And when I've told them what it means to be family of choice, because I'm the eldest child in a family where all my siblings are already deceased. I'm the only one left. So this is my family of choice. Every one of them has cried. And one of them went home and came back a week later to take me out to lunch and dropped a big bundle on my bed and said this is for you and when I unpacked it it was this enormous quilt made solely of pride flags by herself for me and then I cried What would respecting you as an older person as an older lesbian, an older bisexual woman, what would that look like Well, acknowledgement that I actually exist would be a good start. Um, Another would be that I'm not ill and that I've got something to be fixed would be a good start. Somebody not to be 
alarmed about because I have had that reaction coming out to a nurse in an aged care facility who got very agitated when I told her about myself and seemed quite frightened. I would want acknowledgement of my own strengths and things that I can offer to where I am and to be engaged with people things and there needs to be a dog or a cat. We heard there from Jennifer, a bisexual writer living and creating in residential aged care in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Meredith Butler and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. Hi, my name is Courtney Barnett and you're listening to 3CR, the voice of dissent. Sue is an out and proud lesbian living in country Victoria. A former teacher and mental health nurse, she's been active within the lesbian community over many years and has experience of working within and accessing healthcare services in both metropolitan and rural and regional settings. I've had a number of careers in my time. I've been a teacher. I taught science and mathematics. I wasn't going back to teaching. I hated teaching by that stage. And I'd decided that I'd quite liked the nursing part. So I went and applied to a couple of uh, places that ran courses and found that they didn't particularly want people over 40. I eventually found that uh, Mount Royal in Melbourne was quite willing to take somebody over 40. They were quite happy to. I wasn't terribly happy doing that the uh, SEN type work because uh, basically it was a matter of shoving it in one end and wiping it out the other. So I went down the hill to Royal Park, which was a psychiatric hospital, and haven't looked back. It was while Sue was working as a psychiatric nurse that she met her lifetime partner, Margaret. She was a brilliant pianist. She had a a mind that was sharp as a tack, except right towards the end. And we could talk to each other. This was this was really important. If you um find someone that you can sit down and have a D&M with, that would be great. There was a Central Victorian lesbian group 
that met first in Wood End and then um, in Castle Moon. But that folded up because they couldn't find anybody else to get, take over. Um, which is a shame because when you're out in the country, you do need to have that contact. So where else did you go to um, socialise? So, well, we could go to uh, down to the Glass House, um, Prince of Wales. Um, I've been so far away from it, it's, uh, I'm losing track. Um, 397 when it was open. Um, the Kingston closed down. Whatever was open to lesbians. And sometimes there were guys there as well. That didn't bother us. Or Matrix would have something going on. So we're talking about home care packages now. Tell me more. Well, a home care package, somebody comes out and assesses you like a um, a nurse and a social worker and an OT and they decide whether you deserve anything or not. We didn't. We didn't have any bad um, feelings there at all. It was all okay. You lived. You lived together. Your partners, and that's it. That's really different to what a lot of LGBTI people expect from aged care and particularly in rural areas, isn't it? It is to the point where some have gone back into the closet and that's really a terrible thing. Sue went on to talk about her relationship with Margaret and their experience of accessing health and aged services in country Victoria. Margaret had Parkinson's um, and you tend to shake a lot with Parkinson's. One thing that really got to me was that there was a support group for Parkinson's and Margaret was asked not to come because she was had a very severe case and they had quite a number of new people in who had just been given a diagnosis and they said, well, they, they might look at you and think, am I going to end up like that? And it's hard. I know that Margaret probably lived longer because we had a wonderful, loving relationship And so we didn't, um, there was the support there. 
and I think that that's really important. Matrix did a survey of aged care in, in rural areas and we were at st- one stage looking for the possibility of a nursing home for Margaret, not that I wanted her to go into one, but it was getting just too much. And I was told which ones to go to and which ones not to go to. And that was a help. So that was based on how gay-friendly they were? Yes, and they did some um, educational work around treating people like they might like to have the same room. They don't want to be split up. And there are a couple of nursing homes that will actually do that. Where did most of your support come from during that time? Most of it actually came from Cannes, which was both male and female. More male than female, but um, the uh, CEO of of Cannes was a wonderful gay man who did things like doing washing when you were in in hospital or feeding the dogs or or whatever. And that was a a massive support. And there are a couple of others who who, uh, helped as well. Now I've got an out-and-about person and we seem to click. What difference does that make now that you're unable to travel so much to get to things? It makes a great deal of difference. Um, It means I've got someone I know who's coming once a fortnight. Um, And we can just sit and talk or sit and watch a video. Um, or just sort of potter in the garden or whatever. It's having that contact is extremely important. I've found that the local doctors are not in in this particular little village that I live in. Are not really au fait with the alphabet society. Um, I went to my local doctor and... I was given this, it said, social status and mine had on it homosexual 
And I said, take that off your thing. I, I didn't give you permission to call me that. And it was actually a, a social worker who'd told them that I was gay. So this was... Um, Both both the female doctors that I saw, they tended to sort of sit back quite a bit as if they might catch something. We could wish, Sue. Yeah, we could wish. I mean, I'm not looking for a partner at the moment, but uh, you never know. Um, but this is sort of, this is what you get sometimes where it's it's just pure ignorance so that falls into that category doesn't it of it's not direct discrimination but it's an absence of a real understanding and valuing of identities that is totally true it's not a um I wouldn't sort of call it not valuing identities, but just ignorance of what the term can mean and what another doctor coming into the practice could read through your thing. And with these new cards... Um, they, I presume that that would go on to that as well. Now, whilst I'm out, I'm not out to the entire bloody population. And I don't, I just don't feel that I'd, uh, whilst I am out, and I've always been out, apart from a couple of years. Um, I'm I'm not aggressively out, and I think that's there's a big difference between being out and being aggressively out. That was Sue, out and proud lesbian living in country Victoria, Australia. I'm Meredith Butler and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. Queering the Air today, we've heard from three older lesbians and queer-identifying women sharing their experiences and insights as they negotiate ageing and aged care. Thanks to Tony, Jennifer and Sue for your time, energy and thoughts in contributing to this project. 
Thanks also to Queering the Air and 3CR Community Radio for broadcasting this program and to Ada Castle from Switchboard Victoria's Out and About program for assistance with program planning and design. A huge shout out to radio maker Tan Hung Farm for patience and creative expertise in editing and producing this podcast. This program was produced on behalf of Switchboard Victoria with funding from Lesbians Incorporated. Switchboard is a peer-based community organisation providing support for LGBTQIA plus people, their friends, families and communities living in Victoria, Australia. Switchboard Victoria's Out and About Community Visiting Program is a free volunteer visiting service connecting older LGBTI people across Victoria. Listeners can contact Switchboard on 1800 184 527 from 3pm to midnight every day of the year. You can also find us at switchboard.org.au or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Meredith Butler. Thanks for listening. And I'll leave it to our three fabulous participants to have the last word. Well, it's growing my sense of belonging in a family I never knew I belonged to. And I'm going to cry now. (laughs) And I am so happy to know that. And the people that I'm close to now are so accepting and so keen to help me grow into being a more full member of the queer family. Having that contact is extremely important. I'm looking forward to the 15 to 20 years more, so I'm looking forward to rail tunnels being completed and new trains coming coming on board and uh, and uh, all the things, new technology that's going to be around the corner to enjoy and use. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 3CR Community Radio. 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to 3CR. 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 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.